Baby, don't make me spell it out for you. All of the feelings that I got Hello for and uh, welcome to the child detention center that is the Molly Please podcasting family. Um, it's the end of the first half of 2016 and we're going to use this opportunity to reflect on the dire life that we're all leading and um, just this horrible state of the world and the, uh, the, the beacons of pop culture that distract us for sometimes only minutes at a time and, uh, and make life worth living. You guys feeling excited? Well, I now. was. It, yeah, I was. <laughs> until you did that intro. This is going to be a somber podcast. <laughs> that we're going it's going to be the most somber podcast starring Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westwood. Like, uh, pop culture doesn't exist in a bubble, you know. There's, there's, no, there's, not, there's nothing that's totally apolitical. When, and obviously our podcast is very political. Uh, so political. Like, everyone's always giving us a hard time for our stances that come out on these podcasts. Who's giving us a hard time? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Weird vibe already, Shaq. Weird <laughs> vibe. Well, let's, let's do it. So, this is our halfway point podcast. Talking yeah. about all the stuff we've enjoyed uh, during this year so far. I feel like there's probably a lot we couldn't catch up with in time. Mm-hmm. Especially TV, I suppose. I don't know. I feel like we've been pretty on top of movies. Yeah, movies are easy. There's only one of them. <laughs> yeah, just takes a couple hours. Yeah, bada bing, bada boom. Uh, but I guess we're starting off with video games. Always start with video games. Most boring category. Nobody looks forward to it. Just get it out of the way. Um, this year has been great so far. Um, I'd go as far as to say the year was front loaded. Uh, I don't know if there's like too much people are looking forward to in the second half of 2018. Uh, and based on what we saw at E3 a couple weeks ago, maybe that's just the way the industry is trending. Like, get shit out early on in the year and then pick it up on sale at Christmas time. Uh, I, I presume that's probably part of new consoles, like starting to percolate at uh, at the big companies. I'm sure that a lot of developers are putting out like their last game on current hardware. Have any new consoles been announced? They haven't been announced, but the I think people are saying like. 2020 will probably be the year that new consoles start coming out. Okay. Um, you know, it's weird. I always say 20 and the year, you know, 2018. I feel like I've been inconsistent about that today. Yeah. I don't know. Something. Are you going to start saying 2020, 2021? <laughs> but 2020 is such a fun year name. Yeah, it is. It's like good vision. Mm-hmm. What's more fun than that? Yeah. And you need those. Uh, Honed senses. If you're gonna play Celeste, a uh, an indie release that came out this year from Matt Makes Games, the uh, developers and publishers of Towerfall. Yeah, I played this at PAX, not last PAX, PAX before that, and that was a great experience just to get a taste of the game. People watching me and it's like hard. It's a lot like uh, Super Meat Boy, but uh, 
Not I, not quite as I don't know if it's quite as tough. I never really gave Super Meat Boy that much of a shot, but this was pretty intense and a lot of death, but a lot of like instant respawning. I don't know if we need to explain the games. Like I'm sure you've heard it. I can't in like January. It's just um well, just like a platformer is your name for that kind of platformer one. Uh, Side scrolling platformer. And, but the ones that are like hard enough where you just die like a million times. You tell me that's not a subgenre. No, yet. it probably is. I don't know. And it's, it's a simple plot, and the, the, the writing was cute. It's just some girl who has to climb this mountain in Canada, and she's, like, constantly fighting her, like, inner demons, which is represented as, like, this shadow version of yourself that you're constantly, like, competing against while climbing the mountain. And you also meet some hipster dude who's from Seattle that presented as, like, this mythical land. Because it's weird. <laughs> the game is, like... It, it acts like it's a fantasy, but it is like set in like contemporary like North America. So that was kind of an interesting little thing to throw in there. Um, but yeah, no, I really liked it. I wish it was longer, but uh, you know, it came out of a, a game jam. What is that? I've so, heard of that? You know, it's like a forty-eight hour film festivals, but for video game development. Like they have a theme, yeah. and everyone tries to develop a game very quickly. It's like a film slammer. I know they've had like writers slams too over the years. I know I definitely know some famous short stories that were written in scenarios like that. I feel like a game is just so much more complicated. I feel like everything would look like shit. I'm sure it did. I think if I remember correctly, there's like some way to play the original Celeste in the game. I think you just play it for free online. Or yeah, that's it. You can play it because I've played that. Yeah, and it's funny because even the the final version of the game does look pretty simplistic kind of almost 8-bit but uh that's part of its charm um trying to remember anything else about it but for me my experience i've not gotten very far in this game because very early on you find uh, that there are pieces of fruit scattered through the world and you can collect them and i think the first time you collect one the game's like this does you don't get anything for this yeah, it it's goes just for your own. It's, it doesn't it's not going to equal anything like a super duper jump or something but i still i want to get every piece of fruit that i see and i'm i'm just frustrating myself so much yeah but you have it gets to the point where it's nearly impossible i i think like I'm the game is hard enough point. without having to collect things <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like at a certain point you just have to let go and then just enjoy the rest of the game but there's definitely parts where I'm like, I'm never going to beat this in like a bajillion years. But then you eventually get there. Uh, I, I like that, that that's like how I feel about all those like shadow self parts of the game mm-hmm. so far. And I feel like every time it's like, but I can do it. Which is, it's like a, it's almost like encouraging me. Like you can, <laughs> you can beat yourself. You can beat your inner demons. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm beginning to become like a big fan of those kinds of games. I feel like they should come up with a name from like Cuphead. I'd also in that category too where it's like it's so fucking hard but you just instant respawn, instant respawn. <laughs> keep, keep grinding it out. Die thousands of times. More times than you can count. Because it just makes it more satisfying when you get to the top of the mountain and it looks good. That is a great segue to the next game I want to talk about, God of War. I don't know if you even know that, but the plot of God of War is you play as uh, Kratos from the other three God of War games. Or seven, I guess. <laughs> I, but this is... I, I never played any of the like God of War side story games, so it's, it's my fourth God of War. Um, and uh, he's moved on into Norse mythology, and he has a son now. And his wife has just died, and they have to carry her uh, remains... To the top of the tallest mountain and scatter them so i appreciate your segue um this has easily been my favorite game of the year so far um it's very cool 
very much the style of game I'm into, which is like very expensive, top-notch, triple-A production values, and really satisfying gameplay, and a difficulty curve where like you only die a couple times, you know? If you know what you're doing, if you're good at video games, it's not that big a deal. Like, um, there's some Valkyrie fights that are really hard that took me a bunch of tries, but outside of that, pretty much wasn't dying the whole game, which is great. Um, they, uh, they make you use uh, an axe as Kratos' weapon, um, and because it's like Norse mythology, it does the thing where he can throw it, and then just like hold his hand out like Thor, and it just like flies back into his hand, <laughs> and it's so good. Is that just like in the old literature and texts and poems? So it's like, and then he threw his hammer and it came back into his hand and it was sweet. I think it is because I remember looking up um, weapons for our like tabletop stuff last year. Oh yeah, uh, and I definitely stole some Norse mythology weapons that had that like teleport back to your hand thing. Sweet, it's just really good. One of the things that impressed me the most about watching that game was the, how they handled the cutscenes. Yeah, so the game. Uh, does not have any cuts it's it's a one take game the camera is always moving there's no loading screens um no fades to black like it's just always there like birdman or, or something the revenant yeah the revenant was the revenant also one t- i feel like it was but it's like it's over days was it <laughs> I don't remember that, but I it felt don't like know. one take. Maybe it was like six takes. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it definitely had long takes, but I don't know if it was one take. Um, no loading screens. No loading no screens. screens. Where he's like running or like throwing his hammer back and forth, back and forth, and you're watching it. No, no, wow. it's, it's, that's impressive for a game that size. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Must take a lot of juice to run that baby. <laughs> I know that video. Games. <laughs> yeah, you know, get the juice. <laughs> the PlayStation's fan got run, got blown pretty hard. <laughs> Playing the game for a few hours at a time. <laughs> so you just gotta pump that juice in there. Do you think Give there's gonna be life. anything that's gonna come out the rest of the year that will even, you know, like go head to toe with that? Is it, uh, is Red Dead gonna come out? Red Dead Redemption two looks good you're right uh also i'm very much looking forward to spider-man 2 oh yeah, yeah. another playstation exclusive um good year for sony again um i think you know there's a destiny 2 expansion that looks pretty good too and i'm just a sucker um so maybe but it's hard to imagine mm. uh getting yeah much better than god of war it's a really cool game um much more niche is Into the Breach, which is a uh, turn-based uh, strategy game with mechs. So I was like, yes, 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 giant robots, I'm in. Um, it's by the team that made FTL, which was a um, sort of roguelike game came out a few years ago where you like put together a spaceship and you're trying to make it... Uh, Somewhere I don't remember where. Isn't that the game where you die and you have to start all over? Yeah, it's. Is Into the Breach difficult like that? It is. Yes. Uh, in Into the Breach, um, when you die, you can send back in time one of your pilots, but that's it. Everybody else is lost. That sucks. Um, so, but on the other hand, that means like you play the game for half an hour, and then whatever has happened is the game <laughs> um, and you can unlock you know different mechs by doing certain things during your run um, they give you like achievement points and you can spend those points to, like buy a different team of mechs or you can put together your own team 
Um, but outside of that, no, it's just like there are these four islands that are being invaded, and you have to liberate them from the various threats that are attacking them. So is this term? This is turn-based. It is, and it's kind of interesting how it works um, because. Uh, each enemy on the field telegraphs exactly what's, what it will do. It's like, this guy is going to move to this spot, and he's going to attack in this direction, or whatever. Um, and so, in that way, it's able to make the game incredibly hard, because you know exactly what's going to happen. And it's all about like understanding exactly the rules and consequences of what's going to happen oh, yeah. to so play. You keep thinking ahead and ahead and ahead instead of thinking in the moment. And the, the additional thing is, on top of keeping your mechs alive... You also have to protect the city from being destroyed, which I think is a great aspect to have in a giant robot game because that's like what giant robots are all about is wrecking cities. So, isn't there another series that's turn-based mech combat but not as good? I'm, I feel like it has a really generic name. I don't know, like like Mech Warrior or something. So there was a new Mech Warrior game that came out. Um, it's not called Mech Warrior. It's like Battle that is Tech. a series though, yeah Mech Warrior is like the I can't remember if that but I feel like I watched a review of it and they're saying like it was just so repetitive and boring <laughs> so it's good to see that somebody's getting the mech turn based uh, niche uh, done right yeah yeah <laughs> somebody's got to do it to right be, yeah <laughs> to be honest I totally forgot that that game even came out this year and I think I kickstarted that so that's how good Into the Breach nice was nice work Sean <laughs> you know, I was a younger man when I made that decision. Um, the last game I wanted to talk about, although we do have two more on the list, was Monster Hunter World. You don't want to talk about the other two? Um, <laughs> go on, go on. Um, I've liked the Monster Hunter games before, but this was a, an attempt to bring it to like our current consoles as opposed to current handhelds, um, which was really good because the graphics got better. They made a lot of quality of life improvements. It's just easily the best Monster Hunter game that I've played, um, and I ended up sinking a ton of hours into that as well earlier this year. Difficulty looked about the same, though, right? Still yeah. pretty hard. Yeah, it's very... I mean, not, they're not... They're like, you get used to it. They're not like that hard. Yeah, you just got to put time into acclimate. it. Acclimate. Uh, I still have the problem of, like, they have so many weapons that there are few that I find fun, and you really have to kind of commit at least early on in the game, to learning one one weapon and leveling that up and making new versions of it. The loop of Monster Hunter, if you've never heard me talk about it, is you make a bunch of food, you've got a bunch of supplies, you go out into this wilderness, and you hunt one specific monster, and you fight it for like an hour, and then you kill it, and you make weapons and armor out of its dead body. Sound good, Colin? Uh, yeah, sure. I like the kitty in it. Yeah. That was my favorite part you, you get, from you, watching you play it occasionally. You get to make a friend uh, who is a cat person, and they're always there with you unless you're playing online with a big group of humans. I didn't really like the new graphics. I liked it when it was anime bullshit. Yeah? I don't know. I feel like that was part of its charm. What did it used to look like? It just kind of looks more anime. So now it kind of looks a little less. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cat characters are still very much like something you would not see in reality. I mean, granted, it's a game about monsters and stuff, but... I like that when that game was a little more, it was a little more goofy. But it doesn't matter because I'm gonna, you know, that's the dire- this is the direction it's trending. We're gonna get that super serious. Well, uh, actually, movie. there's there's <laughs> um, 
there's going to be a, a game like that on Switch later this year. Uh, well, actually, Sean, they're going to make that movie that's already an instant classic from Paul W.S. Anderson that's going to have a battle at LAX airport because it's going to be a link between the two worlds. Because everyone wants to see Monster Hunter take place in Los Angeles, not mm-hmm. in their fantasy world. And that's everyone wants to see Mila Jovovich star in it. Yeah. Because that's what's happening. When is this coming out? Uh, they started production, or starting production pretty soon, so... Okay. Probably like late 2019 or 2020. Yeah, they fast track this baby. Oh yeah, they want it. They want it bad. <laughs> cool. Um, the last game we wanted to talk about was a way out. That you didn't want to talk about. Well, I wanted, I wanted you to talk about. <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, I was definitely drawn to this game because it was. Uh, I'm not sure who part of who, what guy on what creative team, but it had something to do with the the brothers game. I'm not sure. Because there's all these different studios at play, but it had some connection to that game Brothers, which I was a big fan on, uh, fan of, um, and just that concept of like you're gonna play a co-op game and you have to play co-op the whole time, and it's like breaking out of prison, and it just brought me back to the days where my brother and I were like, what if you made a game where you two guys had to break out of prison, and then they made it, and for the most part it's pretty fun, uh, but the weird part is I feel like the part that should be most successful which is the storytelling and the kind of the cinematic flair is the worst part of the game uh, it is a mostly Swedish creative team so it has mostly Swedish cast and the accents bleed through all the time and the acting's terrible the story I feel like doesn't really make that much sense I don't want to spoil the end I mean we gotta who cares who gives a shit no one's gonna care uh, where you find out that one of the characters is an undercover cop and he went through all this crazy shit as an undercover cop which seems like just a, not worth it at all to get some like diamond or something to recover some and to kill a guy and to kill a guy yeah that was that was an interesting thing in this game so you're constantly working together in this game and then at the end you got to work against each other which I didn't like um, because I felt like they were taking the decisions out of our hands and forcing us to do something then again the game pretty much did that the whole time forcing you to do things mm-hmm. you never really had a free choice I mean there'd be times where it's like oh we're going to do it like the way that the tough guy wants to do it or the way that the more reasonable guy wants to do it but I feel like the outcomes probably weren't that different I also feel like some of the decisions we made like retroactively don't make sense given the <laughs> ending twist for example when we finally caught up with harvey the main bad guy we let your character be the one to like rough him up and threaten to kill him which just seems odd now that we know that actually he was a police officer who was really there to get that diamond back and arrest people yeah it definitely seems like it's a game where the good cop uh should win but i just wasn't good enough at machine guns to beat you because <laughs> it just comes out to shooting each other and then you have to just shoot the guy straight into the chest. I guess I, I do like that, like, you're forced to do it, which makes it seem so hard, because it would be, like, so emotionally hard in real life. Mm-hmm. But I just wish there was some other options thrown in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely at the at the last part, there's, it's like the game, like, press this button to point the gun at... For me, it's like, press this button to point the gun at John. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't, and so the game just, like, sat there. In this dramatic moment, like I could, there was no way to not shoot John. But I think the thing I will appreciate about that game the most is just all the detail they put into you having the ability to goof off. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it be jamming on instruments in some farmhouse, or playing darts, or playing basketball, and you know, like someone's having an emotional cutscene, and the other person's you know doing something stupid. 
or but it, that's another one of those things where it's like it made the ending not make sense where it's like god this guy's an undercover cop he had a job to do why did they sit down and play connect four <laughs> especially when the cops are after them and he is in the hospital visiting his pregnant wife it's like no let's play connect four and then let's go sit in wheelchairs and see how long we can balance on the back wheel <laughs> which resulted in a hilarious sequence where i was cradling my wife's newborn baby as sean was falling backwards in a wheelchair <laughs> so that's what i'll remember about a way out the slapstick the slapstick comedy (laughs) and the fact that they cannot say the word sheets some exercise can i get some exercise Yeah, Colin, you played the beginning of this. Yeah, I played the extra sheet. You played the part. prison stuff. That, yeah. yeah, that's the funny thing for me is I didn't actually experience prison. I just played the rest of the game. It's pretty intense, man. Yeah. Pretty intense. No jam sessions in prison. Speaking of jam sessions, shall yeah. we move on to music? Sure. Um, I just want to talk about one album because it's the only album that matters. Um, Seven by Beach House. Uh, I think Beach House is just like my favorite band, you guys. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know I could still have one of those, but pretty much since this album came out, it's all I've been listening to. Um, I wouldn't even call it like a particularly like good or different Beach House album compared to the last few that they've done, but they're just doing exactly what I want them to do, <laughs> so I'm very happy with it. I think it's a little different. It's, it's definitely more like '80s synth poppy, which is kind of a part of their sound. But I don't feel like they've ever leaned into it as much as they have here. It's it's uh, yeah, it's got a bit of that new wave flair, but you know, also sounds like a Beach House album, which uh, I, I like this album a lot too. And I didn't even listen to their last one <laughs> because the one that came before that in the same year, I was like. This is good, I guess, but I don't know. For some reason, my enthusiasm for Beach House had started to wane a bit. But um, I don't know. For whatever reason, I like this one quite a bit. I guess just because it has them sounding as like big and, and epic and just beautiful as, as they should. Um, yeah, I really like it. Thanks. You're welcome, bro. <laughs> I ain't gonna tear you down. Uh, this is one that uh, I like, probably unsurprisingly, but you put it on the list, so you want to talk about it, Sean? Oh yeah, uh, Hell on by Nico Case. What's going on with that album artwork? I can't quite figure it out. <laughs> I feel like she's commenting on the fact that while she was recording this album, her house burned down. Oh. So I think it's supposed to be some sort of like commentary on that, uh, which, yeah, I have it on vinyl, and like there are a bunch of pictures of her house, and it's all very like burning and fire themed. Uh, well, Colin, you're always tracking where Nico Case lives. Where, where I know where is she living these days? That uh, her house burned down. I think she lives in Vermont currently. I don't know where she's living right now because she doesn't have a house. Maybe maybe she does now, but. Probably touring right now. I think she was recording it in Sweden because she recorded it like with the Bjorn guy from Peter Bjorn and John. Oh yeah. So 
I don't know exactly what that guy's production style is like. I feel like I've listened to a few albums he's produced, but it's it's a little it's kind of polished and poppy, but also has this sort of spooky <laughs> darkness to it. And also, you know, the songs are are a lot about Nico Case kind of looking back on her younger, wilder years, and you know, there's always just a lot of wisdom, and she just fucking writes great songs. Um, yeah, I feel like that's what she's. That's what you want from her is to hear songs where she's talking about like being world weary and taking care of nature and yeah. being a woman. Yeah, no, it's it's another really good album from her. Uh, I feel like when I did that retrospect, because I just gave everything like four or four and a half stars. Because I don't know, she's just really consistent and solid. Uh, another artist who's sort of in the country <laughs> genre, but also kind of not, and seems to be kind of uh, moving away from it a bit more on this album, is Casey Musgraves. Oh, yeah, I heard this ad at the grocery store. Yeah? It's moved on to the next level of popularity. <laughs> uh, golden Hour. Yeah, uh, I think I talked about it on a Rock Talk recently, but um, I don't know. It's just a really good album to listen to if you don't want to feel shitty about the world all the songs are just about love and have very positive vibes but also like seem genuine <laughs> to an extent i guess that's a fun that's funny having that album sandwiched between the last one and the one we're going to talk about next because that's, that's i didn't even think about that what well because we're gonna hell on and then we're going to talk about janelle Monet's new album those are both like not happy albums <laughs> i guess so i don't know but yeah i i bought it on cd because i was like this seems like a very good driving around <laughs> during the summertime album and it's it has been i've yeah just really like this album a lot you ever listen to it at the golden hour maybe <laughs> probably i feel like golden hour lasts a while this time of year but also Still kind of cloudy a lot of the time. Are you just talking about the golden hour at this term? It's is like, it, uh, is it dawn or dusk? It's dusk, right? I think it can be both. Okay. I think it's after sunrise or before sunset. So those things. Where, where the sun's either coming up or going down. Kind of like the magic hour in film production. I guess that's. Oh, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking same of. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually on the insert of the CD, she said the album was like kind of inspired by the eclipse that happened in 2017. Oh, so so I'm sure you'd appreciate that, Sean, oh, since you're a true okay. clip, eclipse believer. Yeah, I'm, I'm a convert, so I'll have to put this on my list at the end of the year now. Uh-huh. <laughs> God, that's a hell of a thing. But yeah, so Janelle Monet's Dirty Computer. She is like not taking any prisoners with this album. I mean, it's kind of about love in that a lot of the songs are just about fucking, <laughs> but it is kind of like the world's gone to shit, so let's just make love. Yeah. And, well, and also, like, you don't want to let me make love or be me. Yeah. But I'm going to anyway because mm-hmm. I'm better than you. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'd always liked Janelle Monet quite a bit, but I, 
I felt like she always seemed like kind of a more of a pastiche artist. Like you could tell her soul and R&B influences pretty easily. And there's that still on this album. I mean, it sounds very princey and very Stevie Wondery in parts. I think Stevie Wonder even shows up on the album. But at the same time, like you could feel her personality. I feel like more than on any of her other records. And it's just it's kind of it's very exciting <laughs> to listen to. I like that she still like kind of talks about herself being like a robot. Yeah, there's a little of that. A little less, I think, than, yeah. <laughs> than her past albums because. I don't know. I guess an android, not a robot. Yeah. But yeah, this is a. It's a weird. I don't know what you would even call it. I was going to say it's fun, but also like apocalyptic in a way too. Yeah. It's 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 a crazy, just awesome album. Uh, Father John Misty, God's favorite customer. Yeah, I heard this. Uh, it's it's too soon. Pure Comedy was such a behemoth of an album. It was so long. It took me a very long time to crack that egg. So when I heard there's another one coming out, I was like, oh man, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty short. It's like 38 minutes or whatever. So I think it's his shortest album. I don't know. It doesn't really seem that different though. I I like it. I just think I need some. I just need some time. I need a break. I know the reviews for it have been pretty glowing. Everyone's like, oh, it's his. It's maybe his best album and like um, kind of has a vibe of like early 70s political John Lennon. I don't really know what Father John Massey is talking about most of the time. <laughs> I, pure comedy was like a little easier to grab. It was like really long, but the themes I feel like were pretty broad. I haven't really got into this one. Um, it seems more personal. It's the first album of his to have that like, came on the cover, but he's like, so I'm like, oh. He doesn't look like he's very happy, so like I don't know if it's supposed to be a happy album or not happy album. I think it has a little bit of both. I don't think it's supposed to be like a gloom and doom album. I think it's supposed to have some happy stuff on it too. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan, but I'm the first to admit that Father John Missy is like pretty pretentious. And the only thing more pretentious than Father John Missy are people that write about Father John Missy. And every review I read, I have no idea what anyone's talking about. It's just like a bunch of English lit gobbledygook. Um, but there's some good songs. There's one I can't remember the title because there I'm sure it's super long. Thing with diamonds uh, is like really cool. It's very Beatlesy. It's pretty well produced. I think he mostly produced himself. It's mostly him doing a lot of it with a couple of his uh, touring bandmates contributing. So one man machine. Are those Fleet Foxes people? Does he have? Any I don't really know where he is on like in terms like I don't know if he's like on a, a, a has a good relationship with him. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't think they've collaborated since he left Fleet Foxes. Hmm. Um, but I probably like this album more than the last Fleet Foxes album. Is there I don't think we ever talked about it on a podcast. I, I think I've mentioned it because I liked some of it. Yeah. It was really weird. There's just so much going on there. Hmm. Here's my other thing about Father and Misty. I liked I Love You, Honey Bear more than the Pure Comedy or this album. But I never went back and listened to the first Father John Misty album. Is that worth doing? Uh, I think so. I, I, I Love You, Honey Bear is my favorite. I think that one is the most accessible. It has the widest range of s- styles and uh, it just is most creative. But I think the first one has like, you know, four or five songs that are pretty good that are like staples of all the shows. I think that one has Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which is a pretty rocking song. Um, yeah, I would, I would recommend it. 
You probably like it better than pure comedy. Most people I know don't like pure comedy. Unless you re- unless you like hardcore Father John Missy, it's just going to seem like 80 minutes of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> sad, sad beard guy on a piano. And you're like, is this about Trump? He's like, it's not about Trump. But it's like, it really seems like it. <laughs> What's the part about the Oculus Rift? Oh, um, uh, every night. Betting Taylor Swift. Every night inside the Oculus Rift. <laughs> the music video to that is pretty weird because it's got Macaulay Culkin playing Kurt Cobain being crucified by McDonald's employees. Like, what the fuck is any of that supposed to mean? <laughs> and then George Washington with like an Oculus Rift, and at the end he's a skeleton. Man, what a time to be alive! Uh, is the name of the newest Super Truck album, which uh, is just a interesting album for a veteran band to do just because they sound more angry and more punk than they have since like their first or second album in the late 80s early 90s it's just you know this one pretty much is about trump and just the state of the world even though the lyrics don't really get very specific it's just about kind of the general feeling i think a lot of people are are going through and just feeling a lot of anger um but at the same time you know these songs have that super chunk catchiness uh but like all the songs are like two minutes long and i think it's like a half hour um they were really great live i i I wasn't sure what to expect from these old guys playing these really fast songs i remember they like made a joke that like Jim Wilbur, the guitarist, was bad because they were playing so many fast songs. And he's like <laughs> the one in the band that looks the most like a dad. Uh, but yeah, just a, a surprising album. And uh, yeah, just a, a really, really, I don't know, good album for this year. Uh, I liked it. I like that song, Erasure. Yeah. I think Waxahachie appears on that album. Whoa. Probably because she's on Merge Records. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, after we went and saw them, Colin had to like take us home so we could watch a documentary about Super Chunk and Merge Records. <laughs> I, I wasn't like, we have to go home and watch this show. It sounds like you raced home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, went 100 miles per hour. You have to see this to know the significance of Super Chunk and their record company. <laughs> It's more just like we didn't feel like going to bed, so it's just like oh, I'll just put this thing on <laughs> since it's super chug related. I'm sure everyone who went to that show raced like, home. Okay, let's go watch this documentary. <laughs> that my favorite advice from any live show I've ever been to, where uh, what's his name, the lead singer, was like Mac. Sure, <laughs> was like uh, it's so easy to like get caught up in like staying home and streaming stuff and reading the news and just like wallowing in depression and just don't do that just go see a show every night <laughs> it's yeah that's the spirit we live in seattle there's a ton of shit we could go see for pretty cheap speaking of cities <laughs> <laughs> good yeah nice. well, well first first we have to say we're moving on to tv moving right on to tv and we're going to talk about the city of atlanta uh, and some of the people that live in it. 
like the lady from Deadpool 2. <laughs> yep. The, well, so the first season of Atlanta, I want to say it was 2016, right? It, was, it totally missed last year, right? Yeah, that sounds right. So this is our first Trump-era season of the show. Um, but it didn't really feel like it, though. Yeah. It, it kind of felt still like, kind of like it existed in its own universe mm-hmm. like that is sort of influenced by what's going on in America right now but also kind of not yeah this season was a lot stranger I feel like than the first season but in a really good way it was almost like a Twin Peaks vibe or something I don't know it just kind of would go by its own whims I guess like the ultimate example of that is the episode in the mansion where Teddy Perkins with Teddy Perkins and Donald Glover's in white face and uh, doing a bizarre voice eating an ostrich egg <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I mean uh, you probably heard the story that like Atlanta was sort of pitched as like it's Louie but it's Donald Glover and like it was it was thought to be like a much more conventional show when they were making the pilot and pitching the show early on. That's why, like, the first episode of the show has like you meet his parents, and it's like there's it's like a it's, it's got like a, a plot about Those characters like, never showed up again. Him his like parents. struggling in in Atlanta, and um, and I started like veering away from that the further you got into that first season, all the way to that like very surreal first season finale where like clowns are following him or whatever the fuck was going on. Um, and I assume they were even further emboldened by, like, the success of some of the cast outside of Atlanta in between the seasons. Like, Don Lover getting to be Lando uh, and Lakeith Stanfield having his career take off. Death Note! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix superstar. <laughs> um, and so this year it was like, well, they'll do episodes dedicated to side characters or in unusual settings uh, or depicting bizarre cultural traditions like that crazy like German day thing they went to like outside of the city Um, they're they're being experimental with things like the episode descriptions that appear on DVRs Um, it's nuts Um, but god bless them and keep it up uh i would also say that to our hapless hero on barry um barry block a uh, a hitman who wants to give it all up so he can become a famous actor after watching barry it definitely seems like it's a show that i really liked um, watching binge style which i haven't done in a while we only watched like the last three episodes in one day but you know it's definitely one of those shows where it's like the last couple of minutes you're like oh shit gotta check out the next one and it's a half hour so that happens even faster you'd easily finish this in a day but like it's crazy like it you know is i is it seemed like it was advertised as a pretty straightforward comedy but it's best moments i say is it's dramatic moments and it's mm-hmm. dark moments and it's resemblance to stuff like breaking bad mm-hmm. it just happens to have the occasional lighter moment but there's still like hella people getting killed and really high stakes constantly and just because of the stakes like even the comedic stuff seems more suspenseful like you'll see characters performing 
Shakespeare scenes, and it's like it's kind of into, even though they're like amateur actors not doing a great job, it seems like yeah. terrifying that they're going out there and they're performing <laughs> these monologues. And I love that they went the route that Barry is most of the time really pretty bad at it. He like he like yeah. he's interested in it, but he's so bad. Like it would have been a weird show if he was really good at it and he was like was so good at both things. So I mm-hmm. like that he's like this expert killer, but then he's up there and everyone thinks he's like such a dope. Um, you know, it's especially fun because you can see Henry Winkler yell at him all the time. Henry, but the cast is just so good. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed like the action and suspense the most. Mm-hmm. So I'm really uh, excited to see where it goes because it's, it's it just it doesn't seem like it would work. Like, how can you be an assassin but also want to be an actor? Yeah, it's like the most private profession, the most public <laughs> profession. Um, yeah, like I don't think there's been another show that has successfully done like. A funny stage reading of a script and also a lengthy handy cam shootout sequence in the same episode <laughs> and Barry did that actually in a couple episodes even though it was only like a nine episode season yeah so I think it's eight episodes eight. yeah and I, th- I really think Bill Hader should get nominated for dramatic performance but he's gonna get nominated for comedy because <laughs> yeah. the show's hilarious I mean it's funny but it's pretty dark so hopefully he will win that though He's very good. I also like um, the uh, what are they Armenian? The oh, uh, the Chechens. Chechens. Yeah, that he's working for. The They're so eccentric and like weirdly lovable, yeah. considering they do such horrible things. Just matter of factly, will order hits and. Oh, there's that one guy, like Noho Hank or whatever. He's hilarious. <laughs> he's so great. He's just like he just like seems like he wants to be your buddy. Yeah. But they like fucking kill me. They're always like, there's always like something horrible going on, but they're like always in the middle of like throwing like a birthday party or like like a ballet recital or something. And there's just always something like with his family or kids going on around the house. Or like they're gonna kill you later, but right now I'll offer you a sub sandwich if you want. Yeah. <laughs> you want submarine sandwich? Um, speaking of submarines, there's a lot of depth to Legion, um, which went through its horrifying second season this year um a further exploration of the insanity and depravity of david holler the mutant at the center of the show um and i just had to like take a moment and go back and look at um some matthew clips from downton abbey to see like how far we've come and how crazy this show has gotten um The thing I always tell you guys is like, people are like, every superhero thing's the same. It's so boring. Why can't we have something that's artsy and smart? Um, And the answer is Legion, because nobody watches Legion. And it's like intimidatingly smart. It's a show that is difficult to follow. You have to pay attention to every second of it to even just pick up what like the big overall plot is. Not, Not even to mention like the underlying themes that they're actually exploring. Um,. But I also tell you guys, you can just kind of let that go. You don't have to solve the mystery yourself. You just have to watch the show. Um, and that's that's been my approach. It's been treating me well. I still uh, really enjoy um, its take on mutants and superpowers uh, and its beautiful visual style and its commitment to including lots of fun covers of pop music. Um, yeah, 
nice. I mean, every time I walk in and you watch it, it's really hard not to sit down and at least watch it for like 10 minutes because it's always something just so crazy. Even if I don't have any idea what's going on, I'm like, what is this? Like there was that sequence on that episode you're watching recently where they're singing behind blue eyes, but they're also having like a mind war <laughs> with like animated verse. Like it was insane. Or I actually sat and watched that whole episode. I got sucked into that show, like all the different outcomes for what David could be like in the future. And that was like, that was one of the best episodes of television I've seen this year. And I'm not even watching the show. It's just so crazy. It was wow. But yeah, like when I when I you know tried to watch the first season, I was so confused. But like just watching it like in clips, almost like you're watching music videos, mm-hmm. is like really cool. No one's doing anything like that on any show that I've ever seen. Also, you should look up. Um, this season had John Hamm doing these little essays. I saw the one about like it's like a, was it a worm or something? Or yeah, well, the, the kind of the overarching thing is like how ideas can become yeah. obsessions and distorted and take hold of you but what was it was it like a bug what am i thinking, it's, what am it's I thinking like of? A you're thinking of an egg and it hatched this black oh yeah yeah i watched that out of it and that was yeah that was really captivating it's really creepy it's a really scary show yeah freaks me the fuck out and uh and really that's my only hesitation is that they went to a very dark place for the season finale um and it's so dark that i'm not sure that they can satisfactorily bring it back in season three um but i guess we'll find out do you think this will be the last season season three season three um it certainly seems like a possibility given the low ratings and how weird everything with fox is right now fargo also only lasted three seasons there you go i think they said fargo will come back though (sighs) okay but here's the thing about about legion shawnee you guys a fan how much more legion do you want I think three seasons is fine. Because, okay. um, I mean, obviously, you can't imagine ten seasons of Legion. So. <laughs> you would die. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point. Um, and, you know, Dan Stevens, I thought his career was really blowing up last year. I guess I was wrong. It seemed like it would have. It seemed like after, because Beauty and the Beast was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. It was a huge hit. It was like top five box office of the year. And I feel like still no one has any idea who that is. It probably didn't help that it was all CG in that movie. Yeah. He also, like, he lost too much weight. He kind of looks kind of creepy now. <laughs> yeah. Like, if he'd stayed, like, how he looked like in The Guest, like, a little bit, like, kind of like, ripped. Like, but maybe. that's what I'm saying. Like, go all the way back to Downton Abbey. And it's like, yeah. what the fuck? That's the same. Who is this He was guy? like a pudgy little guy. He's like a pudgy Down guy. Down and then he got, like, pretty good shape. And now he just looks like skinny creepo. <laughs> But I, think, I think he's great. But yeah, you know, they've got him, they've got Gene Smart, they've got uh, Aubrey Plaza, they've got Jermaine Clement. They've got people who probably have other things going on that they don't want to be on one of the lowest rated shows on TV, even though it's fucking sweet. Uh, another show that that's true of is New Girl. I don't think it's one of the lowest rated shows on TV. No, that's true. It wasn't like killing it in the ratings, but it seemed fine for most of its run. Um, yeah, I think we've talked about it before. Like, the deck was stacked against the show for me, but it, its ensemble just won me over, and the writing was always so good. It came back for this final season, and they did the Parks and Rec thing where they skipped ahead a few years, but they didn't go like full like sci-fi future. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like they did any jokes like that. <laughs> I, th- I feel like they they made some references to like 
fictional pop culture. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. Definitely, they had a lot of references to Nick's books, which were great. Yeah. The Pepperwood Chronicles. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't really expecting anything from this final season, just because it seemed like it was almost going to end at the last season. Mm-hmm. But then it got renewed, and so I was just like, oh, it's just a nice little treat. Yeah. <laughs> Get to spend more time with these, these fun characters. And uh, it, it was a fun time. There you go. It's just dessert. Pretty much. That's how I looked at it. <laughs> it's not they're just desserts. It's just dessert. Um, a surprise for me was the Queer Eye revival <laughs> on Netflix. I never, ever saw Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Not a single second of a single episode. I'm pretty sure I watched an episode of Straight Plan for the Gay Man. <laughs> Rob Riggle. <laughs> um... But I saw people on Twitter were excited about Queer Eye. Uh, I don't know. If, were you excited about it, Colin? Not really. But I also saw that like people seemed to like it, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I guess one night we were just like, yeah, we could try that out. Why not? Yeah. Just, I don't know. We don't have that many just light, fun shows that we watch together. We watch serious shit like The Americans. The Americans or American Crime Story. The Vietnam War. Yeah, none of which we finished. <laughs> Wonder why. Um, but yeah, it's just it's. I don't know if the original show was more about acceptance or more about playing up how like terrible these straight guys' lives are before the help comes. But this version of Queer Eye is all about positively positivity and love and like seeing the inner beauty and helping bring that out in every single person and it's it's just great (laughs) it's very inspirational uh in how it's made it's it's all filmed in uh in georgia too which is interesting um yeah i don't know if they're gonna try and move to a different city for the next batch of episodes they make i guess they called these the first two seasons but Mm kind of seems like they shot them all at the same time i don't know as a fan of the original, I'll chime in and say it's pretty much the same show. Yeah. That's the thing for me. It's so hard to move on from the original Fab Five and adopt the new team in my heart. It's good. No, it's, it's just the same show. It's good. <laughs> There's a thing on Netflix with that Fab Five and this Fab Five having a round table. Wow. I, it, oh, it, I think it, one of them's missing. You know, I think my favorite guy in both versions of the show is the grooming guy. Because <laughs> I think... I feel like the grooming guy this time is like the leader, like unofficially, but hmm. I feel he's I, I feel the like, leader, but he's definitely he's like, like the poster child. He's not. I yeah. feel like he's like the he's the like mascot. everyone's favorite. Yeah, I think it's just because the grooming part is like the usually one of the most interesting transformations. Yeah, it's probably like whereas shit. like the, the the culture guy is usually one of the more boring ones, <laughs> but they always he means well. And like, so it's like here's a yoga position you can do every day. <laughs> like, all right. And the interior decorator guy is like too busy to actually really be in the show. Yeah, he's got shit to Everybody do. Everybody else is just getting involved in the main guy's like life and stuff, but he's just working hard. Yeah, he's working his ass. <laughs> so we got a week. I also, we're probably not the only people that picked up on this, but it's it's, it's funny how the cooking guy is always just like you could make guacamole because <laughs> every single person is like i don't want to cook at all and he's like well what if you made guacamole 
made hot dogs hot for the, dogs. the firemen. Macaroni. I feel like they're even doing a joke about that because I guess I'm such a super fan. Uh, James Corden, when he had them on, they're like, they did like a 12 minute segment where they're like uh, helping like his guitarist who like looks homeless in his house band and like fixing him up. And they made some jokes about guacamole. Yeah. Really cleaned his shit. And uh, we're into the second season now, and they're doing things like helping out ladies. Um, so, yeah, it's great. I think it's great that it's just queer eye and not queer eye for the straight guy. Yeah, that's definitely like a dated title now. It's a little weird. I guess it's weird to think it was more of a novelty back then. You know, it should just be normal. So I'm glad that we've progressed in some ways. And. In other ways, there's the terror. Terror is a show about old British dudes who get uh, lost and then eaten by a bear. <laughs> That's the show in a nutshell. Uh, but no, it's just yeah, it's uh, drama guys isolated up in like the Canadian Arctic or whatever you call that region above Canada, where it's like they're trying to find a passage. They're all from England, and they get trapped. And of course, this is a real. Uh, story. I think it was 1840s, the Franklin Expedition. Um, of course, no one on that expedition was ever found. So then, uh, what's his face? The, the, I can't remember his name now, but they the, the guy wrote a book and it's like, hey, well, what if the way they died was that most of them were killed by a monster? <laughs> <laughs> so it's part like historical drama, part there's a monster coming after you. And that show uses it just enough because sometimes you, you do see it a lot like right near the end and like it looks kind of shitty when you see it too much but when you just catch glimpses of it early on in the first couple of episodes it's pretty scary there's a scene in this and it's probably the scene that sticks with me the most which is the death of one of the characters you guys don't care right and, you know, not anymore and Siren Hins gets killed and he's the he's the captain to start the show and he gets killed in like the third episode and it's so fucking scary because you see the whole thing from like his perspective really you don't really see the monster very much it's like tossing him around he's having flashbacks in his life because your life flashes before your eyes. It like rips off his legs and he's looking down, his legs are off, and then he falls in like some hole almost in the water. And then he just falls in the water and it's just so terrifying. The music is creepy and it was just it was just a creepy ass show. But I think Jared Harris really steals the show. He he becomes the captain afterwards and he's just like falling apart. He doesn't even like want to be there. It's like clerks, I guess. <laughs> But with way higher stakes. <laughs> like, he just, he basically was in, in love with some woman and she, like, didn't want to be with him. So he's just, like, super depressed the whole time. And then things just get worse and worse and worse. And people are, like, eating each other. There's this one awesome part where this guy's, like, I know that when I die, they're going to eat me. So I'm going to cover myself in poison. So when they do eat me, everyone's going to die eating me. Why does he want to kill everybody? Because these guys are assholes. Like, it gets to the point where pretty much the bad guy, like the bad crew members are the only ones left. And they're kind of taken, they kind of mutiny and take control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Actually, the cool way at the end, I figured everyone's going to pretty much die because what was going to happen. But they went with Jared Harris, like joining the, um, the natives and just becoming a part of their tribe and never going back to England. And that was kind of a chilling ending. Um, uh, the thing I don't like is because this was a modest hit for AMC and it did pretty well critically, they, they're like, oh, let's make it an anthology show. And I'm like, what can that be? I think the way you go with that is like, oh, well, let's take a real historical event but put a monster in it or something. Like if they did like the Lost Colony of Roanoke or something. But as of right now, I have no idea what that could be. So you said it's based on a book and the book is just that, right? It's just, it's just that. That's it. They did the whole book. 
in the one in the one mini series. Now they're like, whoa, well, it worked out pretty well. It was, I mean, what do they have aside from Walking Dead? They're looking for anything they can get, right? So I think they probably want another hit show. Yeah, I guess you just gotta hope that the creative team behind the show can find something. I'd never heard of the guy. Uh, he's got a really difficult name too, like David Wajarjian or something. But I saw that he was like writing the new Pet Cemetery movie. He's got a, like a lot of projects lined up, so. Oh. We'll probably know who he is in the next couple of years and probably know how to say his name. He was the showrunner. That's certainly true of our first film, uh, the uh, second film of writer-director Alex Garland. Um, right? Ex Machina was his first. It's his second directorial effort, yeah. correct. Um, and like Legion, Annihilation is another movie um that like a lot of people have asked for like a smart sci-fi with a like a female cast diverse and nobody showed up for it i hate that i hate that so much i understand it though because it was a fucking trip oh yeah that lasts like 20 minutes man that's like some weird stanley kubrick shit going on there (laughs) usually people people throw that term around a lot like oh that was very stanley kubrick Mm -hmm. but that was man that was like some psychedelic weird shit and and people also evoke Tarkovsky when they talk about Annihilation, but I I feel like no way he's doing anything that like upfront with its weirdness. I'm sure he he will subtly drag something like that out over 16 hours, but the last 20 minutes of Annihilation were not. And also probably don't get that on home video because you'll blow up your subwoofer. <laughs> that was I was so glad we saw it in theaters because we were just like rumbling in our seats for the last 20 minutes of that movie. Um, I'm trying to think. I remember there's something. Oh yeah, the only thing I really didn't like about it was the framing device. I hate it in movies. There's only a couple movies where I like it. Was like, tell me what happened exactly, because then you already well they're gonna be fine. And then right off the bat they tell you like who lived and who died. And I know that's not really the point, but I still would have liked to kind of not know. Because especially because so much of the movie does seem kind of weird and mysterious, it seems weird to like have that part be pretty straightforward. I felt like it was just extra weight that wasn't needed. It certainly wasn't in the book that I recall, though it's not really that similar to the book. It's it's interesting because they also use that device going forward to kind of sidestep having conversations between the characters. Like they'll just be like, "And did you know that she was this?" And she'd be like, "I did know that she was that." And and then they just like go on, and they don't have like a confrontation about that thing, um, which maybe they just. Could. Alex Garland just couldn't come up with that scene, and so he just wanted to work that detail into the story that way. Um, yeah, but probably. yeah, I agree with you that it didn't need the uh, the framing device. But bear skeleton thing that, that screams was, like a person. I think that was that's the, the scariest thing I've seen this year. Um, that scene alone, like I feel like people have like, oh, this is a horror movie. I mean, it's really not, but that scene is so scary that it's almost like, oh, this is a horror movie. It's it's like just from the design and just the concept behind it screaming like a person that was my favorite scene in the movie it was but i'm glad that it was just that one scene it wasn't like they they direct they dragged it out you know it made it more special and it's just such a cool progression of like the increasing insanity the further they get or the closer they get to the lighthouse because like early on it's just like it's an alligator but it has rows of teeth like a shark and it's like well that's pretty scary but you don't know what's coming people get sucked into walls and flower people all over the, yeah flower people <laughs> it's a cool movie it was cool i kind of i kind of think it would have been better if it was actually on netflix um i mean aside from everyone's subwoofers blowing up 
But like, I feel like more people would have seen it, which is a shame. Well, it wasn't it released on Netflix everywhere but here. It was uh, definitely in England. Actually, no, maybe not in England. Well, yeah, a lot of places. I think most places, yes. So at least internationally. But I feel like in America, I wish more people had yeah. gotten the chance to yeah. see it. Because, like I said, I feel lucky that we got to see it in theaters. Yeah, me too. I, I wouldn't have seen it if it was on Netflix. <laughs> if it was on Netflix, I think for Netflix. me it would have it would be the best Netflix movie there's been yet. Probably. Oh yeah. There hasn't been a Netflix movie yet where I'm like that was really. I think the closest was, uh, that was one that uh, I'm not gonna remember the title. Screw it. I'll look it up later. Right. <laughs> I, I I still have hope for Mudbound because I know that got nominations, but I haven't seen it. I don't think anyone's seen that one. No. Not even close on this title. What is it called? The Beasts of No. One with Elijah Wood. Oh, one's like I don't feel. I don't at home feel at in home. this world. In this that world was anymore. pretty good. That was very because I was rejected by that guy who usually works with Jeremy Saulnier, and it was very much like a Jeremy Saulnier movie, but a little less sad, but still pretty dark. I would highly recommend it if you can get the title right. <laughs> Um, so we had two uh, Marvel movies this year, and of course, we're recording this at the end of June. In like a week, Ant Man two comes out. Um, but the one we wanted to talk about was Black Panther. Although for some reason, I feel like we've talked about it already. Did we? Maybe in real life. Just in real life. Okay. What podcast would we have talked about? <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of that. Um. John, you saw that movie like two months after it came out, right? <laughs> what was that like? Uh, there's still plenty of people there. Yeah? <laughs> uh, it was okay. I, I It was for me, it was honestly just one of those ones where it was like, it was just fine. I wasn't like super into it. I thought what it did have ring for it was the villain, which is good because mm-hmm, Marvel yeah. kind of is usually a crapshoot there. I could have used more black, actual Black Panther scenes, personally. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do like T'Challa a lot. I like it because I feel like he makes a lot of mistakes as a ruler. Or, like, he's almost too compassionate, which is an interesting weakness to have. Like, he cares too much, but, like, people tell me you can't help people. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's an interesting, um, you know, inner conflict for him. So he's a very likable yeah. character. Well, and it's, it's nice how that pays off, too, in, like, him rejecting other people's more, like, cynical decision making. Yeah. Choosing love. Um, but yeah, like I did not like how many like fantasy dream world sequences there were. Oh, I feel but like it's so pretty. I just feel like it's a really like sloppy way to be like, here's what you're feeling right now, and here's what you need to do. Like I just feel like <laughs> spelling it all out. I don't. I don't really like. I don't really like that stuff. It, it reminded me of like the talking to the clouds and like Lion King or something. <laughs> but like, if that was like happened like four times. Um. I don't know. I think I disagree with you on that one, John. Because I feel like without those, we wouldn't have got the one where um, Killmonger gets to talk to his dad. And that was... For me, Like that's really how you best understand the Killmonger character is that scene where he lays out to his dad like how he felt left out. And his dad sort of explains his point of view as well. I feel like you could have done without it if you'd had more of Killmonger in the first half of the movie. He's like early on and you don't seem like half an hour. That's true. Like then they had to cram, they had to cram a bunch of stuff into the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty good. And 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 again, I want to keep giving props to people writing Marvel movies because um, 
fucking hard to write this movie as an introduction to a character who's already been in another movie <laughs> and like work with that continuity and have like the pivotal event in his life his dad being assassinated already taken care of mm-hmm. and then like still making it all make sense and having to use actors that have already been cast by someone else it's, these movies have got to be so hard to make <laughs> and like I feel like the, the biggest complaint against Marvel movies has been they're boring to look at and Thor Ragnarok and this are like a couple of the most beautiful movies I've seen in a while. So Marvel's killing it, you guys. I can't help but love those guys. That that giant corporation owns my soul. Creepy way to put it, but a giant corporation owns my my soul. soul. Yeah, you know, I'm older now and I can be more honest about who I am, unlike someone who's like in eighth grade where you gotta be told secretive about how about everything you like. Um, because shit's shit's real in eighth grade, yeah. I feel like it was an interesting counterpart of seeing like Lady Bird last year, which is at the tail end of sort of adolescence, the last year of high school, this one with eighth grade, where you see Lady Bird, that character's like confident and has figured out like the kind of person she thinks she wants to be mm-hmm. and like has kind of kind of got her shit together, even though she doesn't completely because she's still a teenager. But eighth grade is kind of the flip side of that when you've just reached you know your teenage years and you're in about to go into high school and you don't know what's going on or how to you know fit into the the social strata of of school and your body changing and feeling weird feelings and i just like i just love that this movie captured this this movie just feels like very sweaty and awkward and anxious and like just a ball of nerves and but also really funny and warm and uh i don't know just captures like a very wide range of emotions that one feels at that age yeah yeah the uh, the writer director bo burnham said that he wanted to make a movie that was visceral that instead of feeling like how you how an adult feels like eighth grade was to try to capture how it actually is at that time when you're actually living through it and, and i think it definitely yeah. works in its favor that it's in modern day not like a throwback mm-hmm. to some more nostalgic seeming time yeah i mean it's 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 um i, I don't know almost voyeuristic probably isn't the right word but it's like i can see totally how the technology we have now and how i was at eighth grade fits into exactly the way that these characters are living in this movie like i don't don't know if i'd be recording like inspirational youtube videos but i definitely get that impulse i I, I don't know i i feel like a lot of people our age say that like i'm so glad i didn't grow up now where everything i do is recorded online but you also kind of see the ability that kids that age have to express themselves and kind of bear their souls online but it's i don't know it's just a very complicated thing i think as it's pros and cons yeah as anything with technology well, does and, and that dichotomy with between her i guess private public life and her public public life it's kind of heartbreaking to see 
Like yeah. she's basically telling herself the type of person she wants to be, and oh, it's it's good stuff. <laughs> yep, um, comes out in theaters in like two weeks. We saw it at the Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, next movie is Isle of Dogs. What do you think of that one, Sean? It's a Wes Anderson movie, so I liked it. <laughs> ah, I liked it too. I liked it maybe maybe top three Wes Anderson. Like, it's pretty good. For me, it's probably like bottom three. <laughs> <laughs> what else is in the bottom for you? I mean, most you of the stuff. Order, but... uh, probably Darjeeling and... Grand Budapest. I don't like current Wes Anderson as much. I like it. Fi- I like him fine. I feel like his stuff is getting more and more precise and like it's almost too precise. It's almost too efficient. Like, like I feel like his screenplays are probably pretty fun to read too. I feel like they're probably like here's like page you know twenty three is where this happens, where this happens. Like it like all makes perfect sense from like storytelling standpoint. It's all like here's all the highs and lows. Here's the call to action. Here's, here's here's everything. But I don't know. It just it feels too tight, and it's too much information at once. And I feel like it's not. It needs more time for me for to breathe a little bit. There's just too much detail. Like I think back to his early films, and he probably would have wanted to do more detail back then, but mm-hmm. he couldn't because he didn't have. You know, he wasn't as famous. Or something. You know, when he's doing Rushmore, I just feel like. The best parts of that movie are the times where the characters have time to just kind of take a quiet moment and exchange some dialogue. Like, I love montages and eclectic music and uh, weird dollhouse visuals. That stuff's fun, but I it's getting too much for me. Like, it's, it's fine, though. It's good. It's not bad. None of it's bad. I don't think, I don't think he's made a bad movie. Mm. No. All right, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I think his last two movies are my favorite of his, besides maybe Rushmore. I probably like a little more than Isle of Dogs. I don't know. I like the fact that he's getting more precise because I wasn't ever a big fan of that middle period of his with uh, Life Aquatic and Darjeeling Limited where the plot seemed to just kind of meander a bit. And yeah, the visual style is pretty precise, but... I don't know. I kind of like the two merging, <laughs> the his plotting and his, uh, you know, his very exacting visual style. I don't know. I, I, I like both these these last two films. I think they're a lot of fun. I think what it comes down to for me is characters. Like in Isle of Dogs, I guess I like the Brian Cranston dog, but I like all the other dogs. Like the most memorable thing about them for me was who was the voice actor for them. Like. Mm-hmm. I can't I, I I don't know I just like I feel like the performance is, there's like so many people in it I feel like there should be less people in it more time with some of these characters but there's this huge ensemble cast because he's got so many friends do you think maybe because they're recognizable voices that that sort of distracts you with how many characters there are I don't mm, hard to say I don't I don't think so um well I, I with, with they didn't have like all those uh, like let's say all the celebrities playing the main like you know five dogs or whatever i don't think i can remember anything about them because all i remember is oh that was the jeff goldblum talk and he had like i guess like a fancier life like I, it's hard to say that's well, an interesting and, and question they each had a gimmick you know like one of them was always like i heard a thing they know? had something but like between them like they all kind of felt the same to me mm-hmm. but at the same time i think there's a there's a 
a charm to the fact that they're all kind of on the same page where the Brian Cranston dog is not. So it's him against all of them. Yeah. Um, also, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that it is stop motion animated and it's beautiful and all the dogs are adorable. Yeah, people are going to be pretty disappointed if they, th- if they thought we were talking about a movie that had, that was done like um, Homeward Bound. Talking <laughs> dogs. <laughs> or Nine Lives style or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. I'd like to see someone do a really good movie like that. Like, <laughs> wow. The dogs are like moving their mouths. Like cats and dogs, like that movie. <laughs> Were you disappointed when War Horse came out that they didn't have like a fancy puppet like the play version? <laughs> like that's why War Horse is a yeah. famous play because it's a huge puppet. Um, no, that's fine. It's <laughs> funny <laughs> so you bring up that movie because like, that movie and Isle of Dogs, both movies, I got incredibly sick after the movie. <laughs> it's animal movies or something. <laughs> I don't know. Too much running? I can't. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, you're very empathetic towards animals. Maybe it's it like it gets, gets in, in there. And it's like yeah. oh, feelings. <laughs> it definitely made me. If I could take away one good thing, like really good thing about Alley Dogs, it definitely made me want to go home and hang out with my dogs. I like that. Its main core was the relationship between man and animal. Yeah. Dogs. Too bad cats were evil. <laughs> nope. Although it was mostly just people who liked cats. Yeah. They didn't really show many cats. Um, but love always wins, which is sort of the message behind Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary um, that recently came out. Uh, it's a, sort of a documentary about the show. Mostly it's just a documentary about Fred Rogers, the man. Um Basically, it's just trying to drive home the message that, like, yeah, he was as good a dude as you want to imagine him having been. Um, like, there are some humanizing elements to the to the documentary. They talk about sort of his uh, difficult childhood, and um, and there's one part where they talk about how his um, he wasn't as totally progressive as he'd like to imagine. Um, but he's just like a really great guy and he brought a lot of love and hope into the world uh, and focused it on people that, that need to hear that that's what the world can be like and of course that's a resounding message now I mean like I can't I, like the, the sharp dichotomy of watching news stories about child detention centers and then watching Mr. Rogers clips um, it's, it's painful yeah. uh, but the movie even ends on kind of an ominous note of like <laughs> would Fred Rogers even be able to make sense of this yeah. world would it be too overwhelmingly bleak for him to take something positive out of it who knows but um, you're, I've, I've heard this quote before and they mentioned in the movie that he says you know Whenever a disaster happens, look for the look for the helpers. Um, there's always people. You know, one person can do a bad thing, but look at the dozens or hundreds or thousands of people that try to help. And uh, I mean, even even if you're looking at your Twitter and you're depressed, remember that like all the people that are tweeting are probably people who are feeling the same depression and anger and confusion that you are. Like they're on your side. 
Yep. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed this documentary. You know, it's interesting to me that it got a theatrical release, like a wide theatrical release. Yeah. That doesn't seem to happen for documentaries very often. Did it, it seem like a movie that was like that worked in the movie theater? It's, I guess it's slickly produced. It's got, I think, original music and animated segments. I think he's just like a widely beloved enough figure yeah. that he, he, he is, could yeah. bring people into the theater to watch a documentary. Uh, and I don't know. We just people need to watch a movie about a guy like that yeah. uh, right now. I guess it's also it's directed by the um, the. Like what's it called? The 20, Twenty feet from Stardom. Twenty feet from Stardom. I saw that movie. That was oh, pretty good. That was like best picture hit. winner. Yeah, or best documentary <laughs> picture. So, yeah. Oh, I got a text. <laughs> we found a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, when are you done? Yeah, and I, you know, I like the flares of the little animated pieces where they're almost like trying to psychoanalyze Mister Rogers. Did like any puppet stuff, like new puppet stuff. No. I guess Mr. Yeah. Rogers did like most of the But characters. But, like, I did like that they kind of tried to figure out which part of his personality was kind of embodied by which puppet. Like, yeah. the king was his ambitious side, or Daniel was, like, maybe, like, the most, <laughs> I don't know, honest, like, open-hearted side of him. I don't know. Yeah. It was a really good documentary. It's also crazy just watching over time, like how ratty those sock puppets. Yeah, are. like he was still using the same one in like the nineties. And our last movie is uh, the Joaquin Phoenix starring. There's more. I thought we were almost done. You were never really right. here. Well, I'll tell you who is here. It's the dogs. It's an Isle of Dogs. <laughs> Right, come on, guys. Let's talk about this super depressing movie. <laughs> so it's um I don't know. I guess it's it's Taxi Driver or Taken if it was like really serious and really dark. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, Joaquin Phoenix as this I don't know contract killer, hitman, whatever you want to call it. A guy who it seems to be exclusively makes his living taking out bad dudes who have uh children that they are either prostituting out or have kidnapped or done something horrible with um and the movie's about getting into this guy's head and it's terrifying mm-hmm. it's the scariest movie of the year easily <laughs> scared the shit out of me yeah it, it's really effective in its use of I don't know, just the idea of violence more than showing actual violence. Like, it cuts away at all the times that you're not expecting, and just, yeah, it's a movie that keeps you on edge kind of the whole time. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I just feel yeah, another unpleasant. Yeah, very unpleasant, but also like another like totally remarkable performance from Joaquin Phoenix. I'm just gonna keep oh, yeah. saying his name because that's what all the cool critics are doing. They just like check out how cool this movie is. Check out how cool Joaquin Phoenix is. <laughs> it's always pretty good. He, he's always like fuck the Academy. He's so good. Yeah, he got his body into a weird shape in this movie where he's like got a beer belly, but also like 
huge biceps. Say into weird shape or into a weird shape, because you said I thought so. That's what I thought you said. So I meant like a triangle. I think both are correct. <laughs> it's kind of shaped like a triangle, it's like an upside down triangle. <laughs> like a little neck. It's 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 he found. Like, yeah, it's like he's got a gut, but he also has those muscles that, like, come from your neck and go to your shoulders that, like, only the most ripped guys have. He's He made himself, like, the most physically intimidating a person could look. He's got a huge beard and long hair. Yep. He looks like he wears plastic bags for clothes. It's nuts. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that does it. <laughs> we are halfway through the year, so... Check out mildlyplease.com for posts about the stuff we talked about and other stuff like other podcasts, which you can also find if you search on iTunes for the words mildly pleased. Uh, We'll come at you soon with some other content. I don't know what that is or when it will be. So thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next time. You could never feel so, so, so